You are listening live to the latest edition of the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad you're along this Tuesday afternoon. A lot to get into today. I've got baseball. i got football. I've even got some hockey. I've got audio from Northern Michigan head coach Grampatoni. We'll talk about what he learned this weekend when his team went down to Plymouth and took part in an exhibition game with the U.S. National Development Program. All that gearing up for Sparty coming to town this weekend. Non-conference action to officially open up the season. Has the goalie situation been figured out? What's the power play looking like? All those questions are going to be answered. Stick with us here in the sports pen. I tell you what, though, let's start with baseball. Let's recap the four matchups yesterday because we had four elimination games and all the home teams were on the verge of being eliminated. Three survived, one fell, and it was, of course, my Minnesota Twins. And you know what? It is tough. It just felt different today. I expected the sky to be dark when I looked out my window today. I know I'm being dramatic. It, it it did hurt. It did hurt. But you know what? It'll sting for a little bit. I'm going to look back on this as a really fun season with a lot of good memories. And, you know, i got to talk about it since it's, of course, my job. But let's start with the Astros-Rays game four tonight, which, by the way, can be heard here in ESPN-UP. More details later. A 10-3 shellacking of Zach Grinke, who, as I mentioned yesterday, Far and away out-earns the entire Rays starting nine that he pitched to and got pummeled by yesterday. It was like 31.5 million to 22.6 million. One guy against a starting nine. And the starting nine won. The underpaid starting nine pummeled him as they light him up. Charlie Morton, though, gets the victory. He went five innings, allowed one earned run on three hits, struck out nine, walked just two. I tell you what, Charlie Morton's legacy... I think he's won a World Series. I don't think he was the MVP, but I do think he has a World Series. I'll double-check that. But his legacy is going to be a weird one because during the regular season, he's an okay pitcher. You know, He's like a career average regular season pitcher. Have you noticed that? He puts up good numbers. You know, He's a guy that you're not overwhelmed to face if you find out that he's pitching against your team. You're not heartbroken by that, but you're not overjoyed by that. But then you get to the postseason, and he becomes big game Chuck. Charlie Morton becomes one of the last people you want to see in the postseason. The A's found that out in the wildcard game, and the Astros found that out yesterday. I don't know what it is about Charlie Morton, but he is one of the most average, borderline pitchers in the regular season in Major League history, and yet turns into this dominant power in the postseason. I don't get it. But good for him. It takes a rare breed to be able to do that. Grinky, meanwhile, lasted into the fourth inning, did not get out of it, gave up six runs on five hits, struck out five, and walked one. It actually started well for Houston. Jose Altuve homered on a full count in the first inning, and that gave Houston a one nothing lead. Unfortunately for them, that would be their only lead, as Tampa scores three in the second, one in the third, and then four in the fourth. That would be the knockout punch for Grinky. So Tampa does force a game four this evening, and again, that'll be heard here in ESPN-UP. First pitch is set for 7.07, a pregame cover just ahead of that. Now the challenge for Tampa Bay comes in the form of Justin Verlander, who won 21 games this year. His ERA is at 258, exactly 300 strikeouts this year compared to 42 walks. On the other side, you have Diego Castillo, who comes in with a 5-8 and record, a 341 ERA, 81 strikeouts to 21 walks. There's a clear pitching advantage here tonight. And do I expect Houston to win? Yeah. But you know what? With the Twins out, I might be pulling for these Rays now. I kind of like this Rays team, as underpaid as they are. As poorly bankrolled as this team is, here they are. 
on the brink of forcing a winner-take-all Game 5 two nights from now. Let's move on to the NLDS where you had St. Louis get out to an early lead, then they lost it, and then they came back and walked it off. It was a weird game at Bush Stadium. St. Louis had a 2-0 lead after one inning. They traded runs over the third and fourth. Then Atlanta put up a three spot in the fifth, and they went up 4-3, to three, and that's where I stopped checking it because I had stuff to do when that game was ending. St. Louis would tie the game in the eighth, get it to extra innings, and then they walked it off in the ninth. Guess who? Yadi Molina with a sacrifice fly to left field. Colton Wong crossed home plate and st louis gets a win to force a winner take all game five miles Mikolas relief appearance for the starter but he gets a win he had a perfect inning julio Teheran takes a loss i said yesterday it is difficult for some starters to come in relief rules apparently not for miles Mikolas as he looked good as st louis does force that winner take all game five that'll be in atlanta tomorrow night and i don't believe starters have been announced but excuse me they have we do have starting pitchers for that i see now jack flaherty and mike fulton nevich so that should be a really fun one between those two and again that's tomorrow night and can be heard here on espn up meanwhile you had the nationals and the dodgers and i tell you what dc Never say die. How about what they did last night? It was a really fun thing to watch. The Dodgers were heavy favorites to end the series right then and there, but they forgot their run into Max Scherzer. Seven innings, a run on four hits, seven strikeouts, three walks. He's 35 years old. So is Ryan Zimmerman. Zimmerman with a big night last night. Between him and Mad Max, they keep Washington season alive, and not only that, they're going to give him a fighting chance. Zimmerman, by the way, was two for four with three RBI, homered once. Had a good night. But they give Washington not only extra life, but they give them a fighting chance going into Game 5 tomorrow night, which again can be heard here in ESPN-UP as well, because the pitching matchup is going to be unreal. You've got Steven Strasburg going up against Walker Bueller. Guys, there's a legit shot that L.A. may not make it out of the NLDS. Strasburg-Bueller? That's a good matchup. That really is. On a given day, it could go either way. And they could just dominate. It may not be close. But you know what? On any given matchup, if I'm a betting man, I'm not betting on this one. If I was, I might say advantage nationals with Strasburg. Depending how far he can go, because you don't want that Washington bullpen to see the field at all. As little as possible. If you can get Strasburg to work into the 6th, 7th inning, Washington's chances are going to spike significantly. And then, of course, last night you had the Yankees beat the Twins 5-1, to a game where Minnesota was hitting the ball hard. And that just kind of summed up the night for them because they could not get the ball out of the infield to leave the yard for the most part. Eddie Rosario did have one home run. That came in the eighth inning too, a little too late. Jake Odorizzi did his job. Jake Odorizzi pitched well enough for Minnesota to win. Two runs on five hits and five innings of work. Struck out five, didn't walk anybody. And the offense just couldn't pick him up. And the offense was hitting the ball hard. If you look at the final exit velos, the Twins is significantly higher than the Yankees. I think they might have doubled it. I'll have to double-check what the final total was. At one point, I know that they had far surpassed doubling the Yankees' exit velo for the game. But that's not what wins you ballgames. Minnesota just had a tough luck night. It hurt. Absolutely hurt. Twins can't get over that Yankee postseason hurdle. Can't get that Yankee monkey off their back. So now 16 straight postseason losses for Minnesota. That is the longest streak in baseball, and it's the longest streak in professional sports. Tied for the longest streak in professional sports with, believe it or not, the Chicago Blackhawks, who've lost 16 straight playoff games. Does that surprise you? A team that won a cup as recently as 2015? That surprised me. 
But I tell you what, the twin struggles against New York continue falling 5-1, to one, so the Yankees are on to the ALCS. I tell you what, congrats to the Yanks. They were a better team than the Twins. They were. Give them credit. I still don't think they're getting by the Astros. Especially if the Astros clinch today. I still don't see New York managing the way they did against Houston and winning. They're going to go up against a significantly better pitching staff. On paper, it shouldn't be a better offense that Houston would provide as compared to Minnesota. But Minnesota's offense certainly didn't play up to its capability this series. I don't see the Yankees managing the game the way they did, the way Aaron Boone did this series, where he was so quick to go to the bullpen, so quick with the Yank. I don't see that working against Houston. At some point, your starters got to turn in good performances. No matter how well-rested your bullpen is or who you have back there, at some point, your starters have got to go deep for you in the postseason. New York didn't have any of that in the ALDS. And they still got away with the sweep, so you can take some optimism out of that. I tell you what, I'm not being salty because the Twins lost to the Yankees or were swept out. I just don't see how a manager can yank his starters after three, four innings and expect to get by Houston in a best-of-seven series, not a best-of-five. This will be the full length of stuff, and you don't have home field advantage. I don't think that's going to work against Houston. At some point, the Yankees' starting pitching is going to be their downfall. I said that about the Boston bullpen, though, last year, and look how that turned out. But the Yankees' starting pitching just does not compare to Houston's. And you're not going to get away with yanking guys after three, four innings, hoping that maybe you get someone on to the fifth. You're not going to get away with that against Houston. Not when you're playing most of that series on the road, and not when you're playing against a team that good. That's why I still don't believe in the Yankees. Can they mash the ball? Absolutely. One of my favorite things about the Twins this year was that you never felt like they were out of a game. You always felt like any given at-bat, they could smack one 450 feet and change the whole complexity of the game. I didn't feel that way in the last three games during the postseason. The Yankees, I absolutely did. And do I feel that way now? Absolutely, I do. The Yankees give you that kind of vibe whenever you're up there. And you know what? I like Odorizzi. I like Barrios. I even like Randy Dobnak, the Uber driver who started Game 2 on Saturday night. I like those Twins pitchers. But they're not what New York is going to see against Houston coming up in the ALCS. And that's provided that Houston does take care of business and get there. And I'm assuming they do. I'm assuming tonight will be the game that ends it with Verlander on the mound. But Verlander, Garrett Cole, as much as I like Barrios, Odorizzi, even Randy Dobnak, I like that Houston group a little bit better. And that's going to be a whole different animal for the Yankees to challenge. Don't forget that coming up tonight, we'll have baseball here in ESPN-UP. Just want to reiterate that 7.07 first pitch as the Rays try to keep their season alive and force a winner-take-all game five. They take on Houston. Again, Diego Castillo and Justin Verlander will be the pitching matchup tonight. 7.07 first pitch. Our pregame coverage on ESPN-UP will start just a tad earlier. Let's take our first time out. What do we learn from Monday Night Football? Do we still know much about the 49ers or the Browns? That's coming up next on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad you're with us this Tuesday afternoon. Week 5 of the NFL season in the books. It concluded with a weird 31-3 win for the 49ers over Cleveland last night on Monday Night Football. I tell you what, I say weird because I didn't see it coming, 
And I still don't think we have answers. We don't have sufficient facts in front of us regarding the two teams that took the field last night. And it got going with a bang. San Fran with the trick play. This one was really never in doubt. I thought it would at least be a good game. I said last week during Pick'em that I was going to go with the 49ers because it was a coin flip game and I want to go with the home team. But it was anything but a coin flip. Our Pick'em, by the way, I'm leading the way at 16-9. and nine. Ryan Stiggs at 15-10. and 10. Jake Duran is 14-11. and 11. Tyree Smith, 13-12. and 12. John Michael Hoefling, 12-13. and 13. So first to fifth is separated by just four games five weeks into the season. So we're all pretty tight with each other. It's all pretty competitive. A few other things made last night's game weird. It started out in the pregame with the pregame handshake, the captains meeting at midfield, and I should say the pregame lack of a handshake because Richard Sherman, defensive back for the 49ers, stuck his hand out to Baker Mayfield, Cleveland Browns quarterback, and Baker refused to shake it, which spurned Richard Sherman a little bit. And He's a guy that's never been afraid to speak his mind, very eloquently so. But he was upset that Baker Mayfield refused to shake hands with him. He said afterwards, Yeah, I know that you're trying to rouse your guys up. You're trying to get hype for the game. But this is the NFL. That's college-level bleep. We're professionals up here. You know what? I think he's absolutely right. You think back to college when Baker was with Oklahoma, and the same thing happened to him when he went and played the University of Kansas. They refused to shake hands with him. He just kind of laughed it off, and then he lit Kansas up. Everybody does, and Baker went on to win the Heisman that year. But Richard Sherman's absolutely right. Grow up, Baker. You're a pro athlete. If you're going to keep talking, Baker, you got to do something. Because we're 19 games into your career, and I can't figure out if you're good or not. Some days you look good. Last year you looked good. I don't know if your line is bad, if Reddy Kitchens isn't putting you in the same system as he was last year, or if you just had a freshman fluke season in the NFL. I don't know which one it is, but I know I had you on my fantasy team for the first couple of weeks, and I got sick of you. Fantasy owners were real sick of you last night because you went for negative two, albeit you probably should have had a touchdown. One of those interception returns Callaway, that was his fault. But I tell you what, Baker, if you're going to talk, you're going to get more people to watch you. More eyes are coming on you, and they're not going to be rooting for you. They're not going to be looking at the Browns as the feel-good story, the underdog, the perennial underdog, the perennial doormat that suddenly has a fighting chance. That's not how people are looking at the Browns right now. People don't watch Browns games for a feel-good story. They watch Browns games to hate watch because the Browns, with all their talking, are 2-3, and and they're staring 2-5 and dead in the face. Because next week they take on Seattle, which can be heard here in ESPN-UP, by the way, and they'll probably lose that game. Then they have their bye week, and then they go to New England. Cleveland is looking 2-5 and five in the face. And if you're going to keep talking, that's fine. That's fine. If you and Odell are going to keep giving your opinions, voice everything that you think about whatever it may be, whether it's warranted or not, most of the time it's not, then people are going to hate watch you. The Browns are walking around with an unearned arrogance. You heard Baker Mayfield's comments on Daniel Jones, how shocked he was the Giants took Daniel Jones where he was. Daniel Jones has won as many games as a starter as Baker, and he's played two less games so far this year. I didn't like Baker in college, even though he lit up guys. I liked him a lot more in the NFL last year. But right now, 
He's putting up below average numbers. He's got a big mouth, and he's not backing it up. And I tell you what, two and three is disappointing this year for Cleveland. And it's like the best start they've had in the last 20 years. Can you believe that? Cleveland's probably going to start two and five, losing to Seattle and New England. And it's still going to be like the franchise's best start in 20 years. I don't feel sorry for Baker and the Browns. You got to do something before you talk. Right now, the Browns have an unearned arrogance. I tell you what, though, on the 49ers side of things, I'm still not sure about this team. I'm really not. This was a game that reminds me of the San Fran Tampa Bay game back in week one. Jimmy Garoppolo didn't so much as win that game as his opponent lost it. I'm not trying to take away from Jimmy and the Niners, but I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo is ever going to have to work less in a four-touchdown victory than he did last night. I tell you what, though, that wasn't the only highlight from last night because Nick Bosa, defensive lineman for the 49ers, second overall pick in this year's draft, had a score to settle with Baker, stemming back to when they were in college. A couple of years ago, in fact, I think we just had the three-year anniversary of it, Baker Mayfield and the Oklahoma Sooners went to Columbus, and they beat the Buckeyes at the Horseshoe and planted the Sooner flag at the 50-yard line. Later that year, Iowa State came to Norman, Oklahoma, and beat the Sooners on the road and planted an Iowa State flag at midfield. They got Baker back for Ohio State. But Nick Bosa had his own score to settle, and he was in the Browns' backfield all night long last night. Bosa was having a monster game. And he was getting to Baker. Got to him in the first couple of minutes, hit Baker as he threw, ended up being an interception by Richard Sherman. Later, Bosa gets to Mayfield again, and his celebration includes him waving an imaginary flag at midfield, the same way Baker did when they met in college. Baker came to his house, beat him, and planted the Sooner flag, and he planted the imaginary flag at midfield after dropping Baker in the backfield. Nick Bosa didn't hide it either. This was him postgame. Um, I think everybody knows what that was for. Uh, just wanted to get payback. How long he had, he had it coming. One more guy. Anything to Baker, or are you just kind of like the stance play? I was kind of trying to talk. I don't usually talk, but <laughs> this game, he had it coming. So, but he didn't say one word back. So, what would you say? Just an example. Oh, I was just screaming his name, like, Baker, Baker, you good? Come on, pick it up. We want to challenge you. I love that out of Bosa. I tell you what, I'm not anti-Baker. I didn't like him in college. I liked him more in the NFL. I'm not rooting against Baker. But I do believe in respect for opponent. You know, I'm a Notre Dame guy. But I'm not going to be unprofessional and talk trash about Michigan, Michigan State, Maybe if it's something really bad, because there were a lot of people that said Shea Patterson was the end-all, be-all. I never thought that. That's just me being right about something. I'm just happy about me being right. But I'm not going to troll teams that I don't like and be one of those fans. This is why the Browns are not going to be a playoff team. Like I said in the beginning, they are not a cohesive locker room. You need that. It can't just be about talent. How many times have we seen the most talented team Failed to live up to expectations. Duke basketball this year didn't even make the Final Four. The Dodgers were clearly the best team in the regular season this year. 
They could lose in the NLDS. It could very well happen with Strasburg on the other side, pitching to his prime, and the Dodgers don't even trust their ace enough to put him out there, Kershaw. Instead, they're going to go with Bueller. So what is ahead for the Cleveland Browns? I tell you what, after these next two games, the schedule's going to lighten up significantly. They've got Seattle on Sunday, then the bye week, and then they're at New England. If they can get one of those two games and sit at three and four, maybe they're a playoff team because the schedule lightens up significantly. In fact, according to next-gen stats here at ESPN, they have the third easiest remaining schedule in the NFL this year. I don't know how they come up with that, but I do know it gets more accurate every week because we learn more about what teams are for real and who is not. So after the Patriot game on October 27th, they'll be at Denver, home with Buffalo, home with Pittsburgh, and then home with the Dolphins on Thanksgiving weekend. Then they're going to Pittsburgh, home with Cincinnati, at Arizona, home with Baltimore, and then at Cincinnati to close out the season. There's a lot of winnable games for Cleveland after the New England game on the 27th. Because after that, their toughest games might be the Bills, who are 4-1, and one, and the Ravens, who they already beat this year. We don't quite know what they are yet. So everything the Browns set out to do, their playoff hopes, is still in front of them. But that locker room has got to start becoming cohesive before anything. The 49ers, meanwhile, what they've been able to do after their 4-0 start have suddenly made the NFC West the juggernaut of the NFL. I said from the beginning I thought that Seattle would win that division with the Rams behind them, and we'll see what the 49ers can do. I should be sold in the 49ers. I'm not yet. They turn the ball over too much. I'm still waiting for Jimmy to really show out because at some point you're going to have to get elite quarterback play. Even Joe Flacco during his Super Bowl year, he was playing at an elite level back in 2012. I haven't seen that from Jimmy Garoppolo, and at some point he's going to have to do it. Until I see it, I'm not ready to say the 49ers are for real, but I'm not saying they aren't either. Because Matt Breda is one of the more underrated backs in the NFL this year, and they're doing all this while George Kittle has been largely pedestrian. Let's take another timeout. When we come back, I'll have some Grant Patoni audio. Let's switch to Puck Talk for the rest of the show, and we'll answer some questions about the NMU hockey squad on the verge of opening night this weekend. That's next on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen, weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad that you're along. Here's your Sports Center update. New York Jets quarterback Sam Darnold has been cleared to play this week against the Cowboys. How do you like that? Sam Darnold going out there post-mono, his spleen still on the line, risking his life for the Jets to play against the Cowboys. I give him credit. (laughs) It's more than I would have done. German soccer midfielder Bastian Schweinsteiger has announced his retirement at the age of 35. Schweinsteiger ends his career with a World Cup, a Champions League title, and eight Bundesliga titles. And finally, President Grover Cleveland, the only U.S. president elected to non-consecutive terms, used to be a hangman for the Erie County Sheriff's Office in New York before going into politics. Like his presidency, his hangman career was also served in two non-consecutive terms. That is your Sports Center update. Glad you're with us this Tuesday afternoon. And as always, we had the Northern Michigan Press Conference earlier today. 
and I got some audio for you I want to play for you. And let's go to the ice because Grant Petoni was there, had a chance to talk to him and recap this weekend's events down in Plymouth. They took part in an exhibition against the U.S. National Development Program, a collection of some of the best 17 and 18-year-old players around the country, and the Cats came away with a 4-3 victory in that game. A lot to like about that squad and what they did right on Saturday night with Sparty coming to town to open up the season Friday and Saturday. So I tell you what, let me give you some audio from Grant and get you his thoughts on how the weekend went, beginning with his overall thoughts from Saturday. Actually, I was pleased by it. I thought the young guys played well. Um, we, Over the course of the summer as a coaching staff, you have to continue to try to get better. You ask our players to get better, so it's our job to put them in better spots and, and get their focus where it needs to be. And one of the areas that, you know, when you look at all the statistical categories, um, one area that we have not been good enough in is, is shots. And um, if you think back to, you know, the previous couple of years, the goals we scored, a lot of them were, um, you know, highlight reel type goals. Uh, we needed to get in, an, in a position where we were generating more shots and we were scoring more goals around the net. So, um, you know, two of the goals I thought were a direct result of that. Um, Ty Reedman had a, had a, a rebound goal and, um, and Loven had a, one where he just put it on the net. Um, so I was, I was pleased with the shots for We had 39 shots. Um, kind of all things offensive, I thought we played pretty well. Um, towards the end of the third period, I thought um, we missed a couple opportunities to block some pucks from the point. And, you know, conversely, what we're trying to do is get pucks there and it creates more offense. Um, it ended up kind of costing us two goals on deflections, and, and one was deflected right in, and one was a deflection and a rebound that we, um, that we didn't box out well enough. But um, all in all, you know what, like I, I was really happy because there's a lot of unknowns going into this year, a lot. And, um, you know, I thought, um, you know, I think, like I've mentioned before, I thought some of the sophomores took some steps. Um, I thought our defensemen that were freshmen played very well. Uh, I thought our freshman forwards played well. And, you know, the most important position with the least experience on our team was goaltending. And um, I thought both guys played pretty good. And, of course, that led to the question on the mind of every Northern hockey fan. I'm sure it's on yours. Who is going to start against Sparty on Friday? Um, I don't know yet. Um, you know, I, I don't know that. Um, I do have to get them both in early. You know, um, it's important that, you know, those guys get a chance to play. It's important that, um, you know, they, they play at home. It's important they play on the road. Um, because once you kind of get into your conference schedule, which is not, in the distant, you know, not too far away, you want to make sure you know who you're going with. And if you don't know, it's okay. Um, you know, hey, we've I've you know been on teams that have, have played you know for for the national championship against a team that was rotating goalies all year. So um, I'd love to do that. That means they're both playing great. So as of right now, there is no decision on who's going to start in net for Northern against Sparty on Friday night. Although that can be a good sign because it means both guys played well Saturday night in Plymouth. So what is Coach looking for this week in practice? What is he going to be evaluating to decide this is the right guy to put in net? I think we talked a little bit. It's the one position that, like, they have to play a game. Um, everybody else, you can kind of evaluate them. You know, okay, I see where they fit. Um, this is kind of what they've earned. Um, but that position, it's they have to play. So, um, you know, we'll, you know, we'll evaluate it this week. Um, you know, we'll continue to, to talk as a staff and, um, you know, try find, you know, the the player we think can give us the best chance to win on Friday night. So with the position battle going on between Kent and Hawthorne, it makes you wonder who can be the guy that steps up and gives Northern Hockey the stability that Ate Tolvanen did for so many years. 
I mean, it's college athletics, right? Like, um, you know, you, you look at football and, you know, they got to replace their quarterback. And, um, you know, there's been many years I thought, how are we ever, ever going to replace this guy? And, um, you know what, with more opportunity and a um, little bit of development, players seem to take that, um, you know, that, that opportunity they have and, and go with it. So um, I was pleased with them. You know, I, you can't expect them, uh, freshman and sophomore, to go in and, and have – the composure and, and the big save ability maybe that Ate had, um, especially by the time he was a senior. But, um, you know, you, you just hope that they can do their job. You know, it's the old Bill, Bill, Bill Belichick, just do your job. And in that position, it's save the first one. Um, you know, the backdoor stuffs will cover. Um, rebounds hopefully will cover. Um, just save the first one. And, and I thought they did that, you know, for the whole game. You know, the three that went in were uh, backdoor slam dunk on a power play. Uh, to deflection. So um, for the most part, um, they did a really nice job. Now, one name that came up throughout the day was that of a newcomer being Andre Gantos, a guy that Northern fans need to get to know because you're going to be hearing that name for a long time in the coming years. He's set to be one of the new biggest stars of Northern hockey, and he really made an impression on Coach Saturday night. He's a really good hockey player. Um, he is really smart. Um, he's competitive. Um, he's got a good stick. You know, and he's, he gives us, you know, Jet and Andre and Luke, um, you know, give us players on the, in the third line that can generate offense. And that's really important um, for teams because we, to be honest, we haven't been as deep as I would have hoped. Um, we've had some real high-end players, um, but it was, you know, we haven't been as deep as, as I would have hoped. So, um, you know, those guys playing with Luke, um, Luke's a big, strong guy. He's a senior. He's been around. Um, you know, hopefully he can help those guys get acclimated quickly and, and they can continue to help generate offense. Saturday night was also Northern's first opportunity to get a look at their special teams. How's their power play? How's their penalty kill looking? Coach addressed that as well. Penalty kill got good. They got good practice. Um, I thought they did a really nice job. You know, and that's another thing. Like, you think about, you know, Rockwood and, and Loggins and Pierce and some of these guys offensively, but they were the best penalty killers we had too. So, you know, that's an important role. And, um, you know, we got some different guys that have, have gone in there. Um, Nardi and Lochran have done it in the past, and they're obviously ahead. Um, but I thought Reedman did a nice job. Um, you know, Gantos and Klee did a nice job up front. And I thought all the D did a good job. Um, you know, the, the penalty killing I thought was good. Power play is tough to tell. Um, you know, we only had one power play. And, you know, the other one was 25 seconds, so it was just disjointed. We scored on the one. Um, so you're, you're, you're pleased with that. Um, you know, it's just you just got to execute. And, you know, the biggest thing early in the year is, you know, you can't pass the puck in the net in the power play. And, and sometimes I think guys feel like they want to do that. And, um, you know, the more you can put pucks on net and, um, you know, it's the old line we, that we talked to with the guys. The power play doesn't start when the clock starts. It starts when you get your first shot. So um, we got to get early in the game. we got to make sure we put shots on the net. And uh, hopefully we can loosen them up and then find some seams and, and make some plays. Later on in the day, Coach turned his attention over to Sparty. They did lose their top scorer, Taro Hirose, now with the Red Wings. He led the Big Ten in scoring last year. But they do still bring a good core group back. Coach talked about what he's seen from Sparty so far. I had a chance to watch them last night at the exhibition game. Uh, they're a lot like us. They're much deeper than they've ever been. Um, they do have two returning goalies that have both played. Um, top line's good. You know, they, they have Lewandowski and, and Kodorenko still. Hirose's gone, but they got a, a freshman from um, Switzerland, Mueller, who looks like he's going to be a really good player. Uh, they've plugged him in there. 
and their top four D are good. So, you know, it's they play hard. Um, it's it's going to be a challenge. Um, you know, they they've got experience playing against some of the best teams in the country week in and week out. Um, you know, I, I do think. Um, you know, we're going to have to worry a lot about us this week, which we do typically, but early in the year, it's, there's just not enough sample size to know, you know, what they really do well or what, you know, areas that maybe you might have some success. So you, you kind of focus on what you can do and what you do well. And, um, you know, there's certain things that, that um, historically knowing, um, knowing Danton, how their teams play, um, you know, what things that are going to make you nervous, what they can do. So um, maybe hone in on that a little bit more. Northern did open the season with Sparty last year. Coach talked about the grind of the schedule, playing some of these big-name schools, and what that does for his team going forward. Well, and you look at all of our non-conference games. Um, you know, the, the teams that we're playing are, um, you know, from leagues where they are multiple bid leagues. Um, you know, there's been one seed in the NCAA tournament. Um, Cornell's a great program. Uh, BU's a great program. Uh, Michigan State's a great program. And, you know, we're, if we want to be at the end of the year where we want to be, you know, these are the teams you have to beat. And um, I do think last year that we had a little bit of stars in our eyes when we um, when we played some of these teams. So uh, hopefully now we've been through that. Um, you understand that you know it's they they put their skates on the same way we do. And um, you know, at the, at the end of the day, it's the team that plays the hardest and executes the best is the team that's going to win. Northern Michigan hockey coach Grant Petoni, his team starting the season Friday and Saturday when Sparty comes to the Barry Events Center. I tell you what, let's stick with hockey for the rest of the segment. I've got some more audio for you after the break. Let's talk about the Red Wings because they're off to a 2-0 and start and their top line looks amazing. Their top line looks like it could be the best in hockey. We can't say that yet because we're two games into it, but they look like they could this year because Anthony Monta, Dylan Larkin, and Tyler Bertuzzi have been amazing for Detroit thus far. They're doing what Boston did when they put Bergeron, Pasternak, and Marchand on the same line together. This is how effective it's been. And again, way too small of a sample size to get too excited about it because we're only two games in. But we get to see him in action again tonight when Anaheim comes to Little Caesars Arena tonight. Monta, of course, coming off that career night on Sunday when he scored all four of the team's goals as part of a 4-3 win over Dallas and this line has produced 16 points in the early going 16 points in the first two games eight goals and eight assists eight of the nine goals Detroit has scored this year has come from that top line now they're going to need more than that if they're really going to be a threat throughout this year but you like what you have right now at Detroit you like what they're building up there I tell you what, we are coming up on the next break when we come back I've got some more northern Michigan audio for you that's that of Heidi Voigt and Kyle Nystrom. We'll get the updates on their teams next on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. If you missed any part of today's show, go get caught up on demand. Get our free mobile app from the Apple App Store or Google Play or look up ESPNUP.com. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad you're with us on this Tuesday afternoon. Time to wind down the workday and I've got some audio highlights for you from today's Northern Michigan Athletics Press Conference. I've got audio from Heads swimming and diving coach Heidi Voigt, and head football coach Kyle Nystrom. Let's start on the swim side of things, but first a reminder that tonight we're going out to St. Pete about an hour and a half from now for pregame. 6.30 pregame with first pitch set for 7.07 as the Rays try to force a winner-take-all game five on Thursday. The Astros can move on to the ALCS and take on the Yankees with a win tonight. That's coming up later this evening on ESPN Radio and ESPN-UP. 
But I tell you what, Heidi Voigt gave us some time today to talk about her team and what's been going on in the season so far. Didn't know quite what to expect. About half our team graduated last year, 12 women and 12 men. So we brought in uh, 11 women and 8 men. And, um, you know, they're young, great energy on deck and um, in practice. So I'm really excited to see them get some good races in. We had our inner squad meet and saw some good stuff there. Um, but, you know, this is our first challenge this weekend. Uh, Friday night will be kind of a sprint focus, fun meet. And then Saturday is really the first time for us to do those events that, you know, lead to nationals and GLIAC and uh, championships and everything. So, yeah, I can't wait to see what they do. You know, and with the new team, the new season, it's been an adjustment practice-wise as far as how coach coaches and gets a team ready. You know, little things, um, you know, if you think about I had half the team for four years. Last year, they kind of knew the system. I didn't have to explain things as much. I've really slowed down this year and kind of went through things step by step. I just didn't want them to miss something and have miscommunication, which can happen, Um so we have definitely slowed down, and I think it's been good. It's been a good reminder for our returners. Um, you know, I'll ask them to demonstrate a drill, and sometimes they're like, what? And I'm like, oh, man, you should know. But but it's really good to slow down and, you know, just keep going over the little things because I think the way we do things is really important, too. Like we get together after practice, and we try to do a recap. Like what what went well today, and what was something really cool that happened today? A lot of times our divers are doing a new dive or somebody swam, you know, a good set and uh, got some technique or a start better. And so little things like that um, really helps us slow down and get together. But, you know, those are the things that help the team come together. And for those new bodies, especially in our season where it's so long, you know, where our first practice was the first, was the fourth day of school and nationals is mid-March. So you have to keep together and you have to stay on the same page or things get lost. Well, there's going to be some new names on this year's team. There are going to be a lot of new faces and performers who are going to make an immediate impact on the Northern team. We have a couple band that I'm pretty excited about. Um, Micah Curry is, uh, we brought in three diving men, uh, which is great because we had one last year, uh, one and two. Um, but so we brought in three, three and uh, all three of them have been, you know, doing really well on the boards. And I think Micah Curry is, um, thrown in some good dives, which I'm excited about. Um, Yvonne is uh, one of our top sprinters we brought in from Spain, and he looks really good. And he's been pushing, uh, like Laios is one of our seniors, they've been pushing each other, and that's what he needed. So um, I think it's everything is uh, looking really good. And we also have some freshman women um, in the diving that are doing really well, too, like Ellie Gunderson and Mandy Baird. Um, I think it'll be fun to see them actually go head-to-head with our returners this weekend. Um, typically, Finley doesn't have a lot of divers, so it might feel like an inner squad on the diving side. But, um, you know, they're throwing six real dives in, so that's going to be fun to watch. But on the swimming side, we have some uh, good things going on, too. Um, Pilar Perello, which is super fun. She's the sister of a gentleman that swam for us from Spain, so fun to get uh, the little sister in and she's been looking really good and we're going to try her in uh, two and free this weekend and so I think she'll do well. Schedule wise Northern's going to be road warriors this year not a lot of home meets. No it's kind of one of those years uh, like a travel year and it gets tough because we have a we have a three-way rotation with 
Moorhead, Minnesota State Moorhead, and St. Cloud. So this just kind of ends up being the year. They were both here last year. I had a ton of home meets last year. And when you're on a three-way rotation, we'll go to, we're going to Fargo, actually, to swim them this year. And then next year, we'll go to St. Cloud. And then back home, it kind of, there's always seems to be once in a while a year of, like, not as many. But um, we'll do home and away. Green Bay was here last year. We'll go there this year, and they'll come back. Uh, it's our turn to go to Saginaw and Grand Valley, but they'll be back next year. So it's just kind of one of those years that um, we're not home as much, and we have a big trip to North Dakota next weekend, which we're ready for. Heidi Voigt, head swim and dive coach at Northern Michigan. Big weekend for Northern Michigan Athletics. As you heard Coach mention, she's taken her team on the road to Fargo. Hockey is at home, opening the official part of the season. You've got football with a nationally televised game at arch-rival Michigan Tech. And with that, let's give you some Kyle Nystrom audio. As Coach Nystrom talked about this Tech team and what he expects from the Huskies this weekend. This is the best team I've seen them have put together. They've done a nice job. they got a lot of veterans they're stocked. They're they're really good. Coach Metlack's got Jay's coached up because the offensive line looks pretty good. <laughs> so Dan's done a nice job with them. They got a group of receivers that are very good. Been playing a long time, um, and they're really good. They're not just okay. They're very, very, very good, and they're very impressive to watch. And they've been there a long time. And um, Jacob Wenslick, he's a legit player. He's as good as anybody in the league. Uh, he makes a ton of plays for him. I know him by numbers. I don't always know their names, obviously. And number five, this Hartley kid, good player. You know what they share in common? They're both seniors, and I, I think Jacob's back for his sixth year. He's a graduate student, so they've been around a long time. They know a lot of football. 81 plays a lot for him. <laughs> Jansen, he does a good job. The quarterback, I think Dan must have had him stay up there last summer because he's vastly improved from last year vastly he was good last year right now he looks like baker mayfield of the of the of the gliac out there he can run nobody can tackle him he makes everybody miss he keeps plays alive he extends plays then bad things happen they get into scramble rules and he gets the ball where it's got to go and so they're very good uh we're gonna have to be very good we're gonna have to get rid of all our mistakes and our blunders and i've told the team that it's time to grow up and it's kind of a reoccurring theme from week to week, but that's okay. That's just who we are right now. But in order for us to match how good they are, we've got to be really good. So we've got to, we've got to eliminate our, our blunders that, that shoot ourselves in the foot, whether it be miscommunication and assignment busts and technique problems to penalties. That stuff has got to go away um, to, give a, to, give, to give us a good chance. And so we've got to match how good they've become. We have to become that good this week. So it's fun. We're having a good time. We're having a good time. It's nice out. We'll go and practice. We'll be outside every day. And uh, we got to get some people back. I got to get some starters back. I have a roster of 100. I got 20 on the medical list, and that's got to get smaller. That number's got to get smaller. So we're working hard on that. And obviously, there's only so much I can do. Um, but we're getting some back. So John, John is back in the saddle. We'll get Peyton back. They're both up running last night at practice. Um, and so we've got to get more of our first-team players back because we're playing too many guys in, in spots in the box on the offensive line or the defensive line that um, shouldn't be out there yet, but they have to be. Uh, we've got some young walk-ons that are struggling out there, and that's, that's kind of the, 
unfortunately, that's the ordinary. That's the norm when you have that going on. So we've got to get our starters back, and um, we're getting close to that, I hope. It's a special rivalry between these two, but especially when you factor in the amount of Upper Peninsula kids on each team's roster. Many of these guys know each other. They played each other in high school. They played with each other in high school, and now they're on the field together again as collegiate athletes. You, you know, the, the, the players that we have from this area, the region here, it, they know already. The rest of them know, too. The rest of them know, too. So as far as, you know, the alert level, Everybody's on high, so it's time to go play and, um, and and prepare to win. That's what you expect. That's what you get ready for. That's what you practice for. That's your mindset going into the game. So it'll be a fun week. I can't wait because it's just it's fun. It's fun. It's fun. And so it'll be competitive. It'll be a good time. With the rivalry comes a hostile atmosphere. Sherman Field has always been a tough place to play. How do you prep the guys for that? Coach was asked. Coach answered. You don't have to tell them anything. They're already there, because it's a, that element is already at the forefront of their mindset. And so we work on getting everything down as far as corrections and schemes and assignments and alignments and techniques to defend what they do scheme-wise. And then later on in the week, we'll start poking the bear, so to say. The series have been lopsided recently with Tech winning the last nine meetings, and you can bet that's in the back of the coaching staff's minds as they gear up for Saturday. It's very irritable, extremely. And so you either fix it or you take it, and that's up. That's, that's, I don't play. Just like Grant, he doesn't play a, a, in hockey. His players do. My players play. So they're the ones who got to take care of the business. And we got to prepare them to do it, though. we got to prepare them. we got to get... All the, the, the moving parts nailed down for them as far as the schemes go, all the practice, all the techniques. And at the same time, you can't be out of control. You can't get yourself so flurried up that you can't concentrate and do what you're supposed to. And in playing, when I'm, you know, Walt Kyle talked to our team during camp in the summer, and he had a great, great lesson for our players. Great players played with a controlled rage. That's the key, controlled. Okay? Because... Uh, if you're a younger person trying to play this game and you're just in a rage and you can't do and concentrate what you have to do and you're out of control out there, you hurt us. And so we can't have that. Okay, so it's a controlled rage that you push for and, 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 and motivation and getting their, you know, getting their stingers up, so to say. Going back to last week's loss against Wayne State, a game where Northern didn't seem to have much of a ground game going and they couldn't stop Wayne State on the offensive end, what do you take away from that and what do you address going into Tech Week? Coach addressed that as well. Tackling basically those three backs, we had a, we really struggled to get them down on the first contact. And they had, you know, we had some bad fits. We did some things uncharacteristic of our run fit game with the linebackers. We didn't play good at linebacker. Um, so uh, Monday was real hard for the linebackers, and we got to play better with the with the front and the safeties too. We got to tackle better. You know, they the backs ran through us; they ran around us. We couldn't get them down on first hits. That's basically what that came down to. So we did a nice tackle circuit last night for practice to start it off right, and we were good at practice last night. They were they were good, and. That's about as much as you can say. You know, you got to move on. You got to get ready. 
you got to get ready. You got to get ready. You got to move forward. You got to progress. You got to you got to grow. You got to improve to give yourself a good chance. That's where we're at. But that's where that disparity. But you know, we didn't get off the field on third down, and we didn't move the ball and control the ball on offense. So there's there's more than just one or two factors that lead into that. There's there's a few variables that contribute. So with this weekend's game getting national media coverage, does that affect the way Northern prepares for this one? Have they addressed it? Is it on anybody's mind? Coach says no, you stick to the status quo. Football's football. I don't even know if there's anybody there. I don't think the players do once they're in. You're in your own world and you have blinders on to do what you have to do. It'll, it'll be nice for everybody else, but we got to play ball. And we got to play really good football. We got to play the best we've played in three years to get this one going. So it'll be fun. So what's the key to that, Coach? What's the formula for putting out the best product you can at Tech on Saturday? Coach, address that as well. Well, that's what you talk you talk to the players about. Yeah, you 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 got to have your motivation level up, your stingers up, and everything. But you can't you can't play out of you know the box. You cannot go out of the box. You've got to stay in the box. And if they don't, then you've done them a disservice, right? If you get them so wound up and so so emotional and so high mentally that they can't spell their name, right? They, like, they couldn't walk into the bathroom and brush their teeth because they're just out of it. That's not what you want. So you've got you've to be able to, you got to know your team. And we are a young team, so it's, it's, it's temperamental. You've got you've to pull the right cord, the right amount to get what you need to have done. And that's, that's tricky to do. But and at the same time, when you build motivation with them for a game, it's got to be a plus, not a minus. You're not trying to fester anger. You're trying to, you're trying to be, you know, you're trying to bring out the good things and the positive things to make them ready to play. Northern Michigan football head coach Kyle Nystrom as his team gets set to take on Michigan Tech this Saturday. I tell you what, with that, we are out of time. Don't forget, we've got baseball coming up this evening. 6.30, we get you out to the trot for pregame, and then we'll have first pitch at 7.07. Diego Castillo and the Rays try to live another day, force a winner-take-all game five, as Verlander and the Astros look to close it out tonight. I appreciate you tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the show as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. I'm back on tomorrow, same time and place. It's my hope that you join me. Signing off for ESPN-UP, WZAM, Ishpeming Marquette, I'm Tanner Hoops. Thanks for listening to the Sports Pen.